AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And today we are joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, as we are going to be talking about uh, the last few weeks of the legislative session, including some bills that the legislature is working on, including one that would create fair corporate taxes in Minnesota. We're also going to be talking about whether Democrats are overplaying their so-called mandates. So chatting about all of those today. Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. So let's start off talking about taxes and a column written today by Eric Harris Bernstein, who we've had on the show before, a very, very smart guy who knows a lot about taxes in Minnesota and at the federal level. As he wrote a column that would talk about how the legislature is proposing this bill that would make corporate taxes much fairer in Minnesota. Basically, what happens is in this bill is that there's a provision called the Worldwide Combined Reporting that would end one of the most popular forms of corporate tax avoidance by requiring multinational corporations to pay income taxes based on their global profits rather than just the portion they choose to declare within the United States, which is currently the case. So tell us a little bit about, uh, well, how corporations, Patrick, are taking advantage of this provision and what exactly this new proposed law would change to, well, make taxes in Minnesota a little bit more fair. Yeah, what they what they do is they uh, these, these big multinational corporations they will set up subsidiaries in low tax uh, jurisdictions overseas. Ireland was very popular, um, but there are many others, and uh, they they report their profits there, um, and then they report their expenses. What they'll do is they'll let's say they'll have a, a patent on something and they'll have it over there, and then they will. Uh, lease the patent rights from the subsidiary here. So the expense is over here, the profit is over there. And you can see how that would be an advantage for a corporation because you know, the, the expense is a write-off and then you're paying a lower tax rate on it. And so the idea is, well, you know, this is clearly, um, it's, uh, it's a tax avoidance and we want to try to capture, um, what they actually owe. And so uh, it's, it's difficult. Um, I think it might be difficult to, to actually implement, but the idea is to uh, force them to report profits and, um, worldwide um, rather than just at the water's edge, which is the way they refer to the current tax scheme. Um, so uh, it's not done in too many other states. Uh, I think um, Eric says that uh, it's in some states they have a choice whether or not to do it. Um, but it's uh, apparently we'd be the first to require it, um, you know, and that is a little risky. Um, and, I, and I think it's it's unknown exactly how much money it will raise. Um, and, and given the armies of accountants and, and tax lawyers that these large multinational corporations employ, um, you know, I think it might be a little bit of a, a fight to to capture this money. Um, but corporate tax avoidance, um, I think, is a Huge problem, as was has been uh, detailed in a lot of investigative journalism, and uh, and I, I think that I applaud that the fact that Minnesota is going to try to do something about it. 
Well, I'll just say I, I used to be a tax accountant many, many years ago, and I'm certainly not opposed to this bill whatsoever. We, uh, yeah, most <laughs> certainly need to make these a little bit more fair. So, and I think it's important to point out too, as uh, Eric uh, brings this up in the article, is that small local businesses are largely not going to be affected by this because I'm sure that's going to be the Republican counterpoint is that, well, we're hurting small mom and pop businesses and these guys largely aren't impacted. And even the people who work on the taxes probably aren't impacted either. It's really only these large multinational corporations that would feel any effect from this law being passed. Right. You have to have international uh, profits. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about uh, 3M and, um, and cargo and all the, the folks that we uh, are the names, the big names that we're familiar with. Absolutely. So uh, I, I'm also curious as well, because as you said, there could be some complication when it comes to implementing this. So no states, as you said, require this right now, but could there be any complications at the federal level? Has there been any discussion about this? I mean, I imagine maybe this could create some complications with the IRS. Maybe it's a little bit beyond what you and I are probably uh, capable of knowing with tax policy, but there could be some complications if this is passed. Correct. Yeah, I, I think that one problem is they're, they're having they're going to have a hard time uh, uh, estimating how much this is going to bring in. I mean, they they have they did make an estimate, but it's not really apparently it's 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 kind of a um, we're not really have a, we don't have a whole lot of confidence in that estimate, um, and so that's an issue because if you're planning a state budget and this thing in, brings in far less than you had thought it might, um, that's a problem because it creates a budget hole and nobody wants that. Um, and then, again, you know, you have um, the implementation could be a problem because, um, you know, how is the State Department of Revenue um, going to be, uh, you know, what, what, how much uh, detailed knowledge do they have of foreign profits? And that's another issue. Well, you can read more of uh, Eric's column over minnesotareformer.com titled DFL House and Senate Leadership are Right to be United for Fair Corporate Taxes. Uh, fair corporate taxes are always a good thing. That uh, We've certainly been going in the other direction at the federal and state policy for many decades, and this could be a step in the other direction. So you can read more about that Eric's column over minnesotareformer.com. Also briefly wanted to touch on another article that was in the Reformer today, and that's has to do with a bitter battle over the orphan drug program that leads leaves patients' pocketbooks at risk. As basically this talked about, a, uh, a woman who is uh, getting a life-saving drug, 91 years old, that uh, unfortunately she has a disease that is rather rare, and she's getting an orphan drug, which costs a ton of money. And this is important because given, given what's happening in Minnesota with the state Senate recently weakening a new drug pricing law, you guys, of course, have that very timely article that talks about patients who are struggling trying to get these very expensive drugs when they have these uh, very rare diseases. And this has to do with, well, the FDA having exclusivity on these brand new drugs that are being completed. I believe they have exclusivity for seven years, which kind of allows them to blow up the price. So this seemed like a very timely article to, to write, uh, especially given what happened in the Senate last week with uh, the state Senate uh, re- weakening that drug pricing uh, provision bill. Right. In order to create incentives to develop drugs for rare diseases, um, which uh, it's an understandable uh, policy goal, uh, the FDA gives this exclusivity for seven years. So uh, if you develop a a drug for a rare disease, 
um, you and you get approved by the FDA, you get to sell it alone on the market, and then obviously that gives you the ability to a lot of pricing power. Um, and and so the prices for some of these drugs are just really crazy. The woman in this story, um, apparently Medicare, her Medicare insurance is paying $40,000 for a one-month supply, and, and she's afraid of a co-payment. Um, and uh, the FDA um, is currently in litigation um, with a company that feels that uh, their right to exclusivity has been violated. So that was kind of what one story is about. Now, relatedly, the state Senate, um, in passing a, a bill that would create a drug affordability board um, to try to uh, uh, cap some of these uh, crazy prices, um, they an amendment was offered in the past uh, excluded these rare disease drugs, um, and so the the drug affordability board would have um, no no ability to to affect the prices of these uh, rare disease drugs, and you still see these um, really um, outrageous prices. Uh, you know, the drug companies say, "Well, if we can't get some return on investment, then um, we're not going to invest in the rare disease drugs." Um, and that's certainly something for policymakers to think about. Um, but the the amendment that that really gutted that drug affordability uh, uh, bill uh, also includes drugs that are uh, uh, younger, yet less than seven years old. And so that uh, amendment, which passed uh, with the help of one DFL senator, uh, John Hoffman from Champlin, um, was really a, a huge gift to, to big pharma. Uh, which is which has really been fighting this legislation uh, tooth and nail. Yeah, I encourage you to check out that uh, that piece over at minnesotareformer.com because it does add some context to what happened in the state Senate last week and, uh, well, the impact that could have with the fact that, well, uh, some of these uh, high-priced drugs uh, might not be seeing a price decrease this year with what happened uh, last week in the Senate. And finally, wanted to talk about one more thing with you, and that has to do with whether Democrats in the legislature are overplaying their mandate. And the reason we're bringing this up and to add some context, well, we're going to read to you a couple of tweets. One is from a GOP operative who tweeted that Minnesota Democrats say they're implementing the most liberal agenda in the country and are pretending that they have a mandate. Minnesota was about 2,000 votes away from having both chambers under GOP control. How small of a margin is that? It's 0.08% of the 2.5 million votes cast. Meanwhile, we had a a tweet from Judy Seberger. She is a DFLer from Afton who said... I feel it's important to point out that there are a few moderate lawmakers who wish we were passing bills that were a little more, you know, moderate. So I want your thoughts on this, on whether DFLers are overplaying this, their mandate, uh, because uh, I know we at the station certainly have some feelings on this, something we've been talking about for a while. But this this sounds a lot kind of like what Democrats were saying in 2010 when they passed Obamacare, saying, oh, we're running away from our accomplishments. So. I'm curious what your take is on this idea on whether the DFL is uh, overreaching on their mandate or even if there is a mandate in the first place. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I uh, it seems like every time there's uh, every every after every election, uh, the uh, the party that wins always claims there's some kind of mandate, and then um, you know if it's close, uh, then the opposition party will say, "Oh no, no, there's no mandate," and I just. I don't really understand uh, 
any of it. It's just, uh, to me, it's a lot of noise. The reality is, if you win an election, it doesn't really matter how close it is. You try to use your power to enact your public policy agenda, and that's what they've been doing um, this session. Um, and, you know, they have a lot of self-confidence in that agenda um, because they've been shaping it for several years uh, for when they controlled the, the House, the DSL House, and, and had the governor's uh, mansion. And so they've passed a lot of these bills, um, but they stalled out in the Senate. Um, so if you think that, you know, if this, if you believe that these policies are right, then you ought to enact them. And, and the, maybe the vote, that's the whole point of, of having political power. If the voters, uh, disagree with you, then they'll make their decision in 2024. And if you get thrown out of office, then, then you maybe you recalibrate and, and figure out that, uh, your agenda was not popular or it wasn't working. Um, but I don't understand most hand-wringing around, well, it was a close election, therefore we shouldn't enact our agenda. I mean, remember 2000, George W. Bush, I mean, arguably didn't even win the election. He certainly didn't win the popular vote. That didn't stop him from enacting the biggest tax cut, one of the biggest tax cuts in American history um, in 2001. Uh, and, you know, and I think we know the rest of the story. Um, and so I, I don't really get the mandate talk. I also think that the the Democratic agenda has been uh, in, in aggregate. If you look at the whole thing, yeah, it looks, I mean, it's, it's very progressive, and we've had a lot of national press on this, and I think NBC News and New York Times uh, both covered it this past weekend. Um, but in isolation, these all these bills are, are popular bills. I mean, it's free lunch, universal free lunch for kids. It's uh, uh, bills that had previous bipartisan support, like reinstating voting rights for, for people who are out of prison and um, uh, license driver's licenses for undocumented people, um, big increases for education uh, spending, abortion rights. I mean, the, the, you know, you you pull on these questions, and they're they're all popular. So um, I just don't get it. As far as Senator Sieber, what she said was a little baffling because uh, she says, "Well, I wish we had more moderate bills," but she's. She's, I mean, everybody's the 34th Democrat in that Senate caucus. So if you really had concerns about the direction that the, the Senate was taking, you had the power. I mean, you could have just said no. Anytime you wanted, you could have said no to anything, or you could have said not until I get my, you know, XYZ bills uh, voted on here. So that was a little baffling to me, too. Yeah, absolutely. And we were just talking about how uh, going back to the to that drug pricing bill, it only took one DFL state senator to reverse that bill with the amendment. And certainly that same thing could have happened with uh, Judy Seberger if she had uh, concerns about uh, any of the bills that weren't uh, moderate enough for for her either. But uh, yeah, I'm largely with you on that because I, I think the DFL has largely, as you said, been passing bills that are quite popular. They've, they've shown a lot of political skill in that, largely staying away from uh, for the most part, very controversial aspects and and passing bills that are that are broadly popular. And I also think that um, people need to sort of rethink the. I think we're in this polarized era when we just think, oh, like if we lose this election, it's the end of the world. And you know, I think some things are worth losing over. Like if they were to lose the twenty twenty four election, um, I mean, either way, it'll it'll be close, I'm sure, but. That then they lose, but then they look back and say, look, look what we accomplished. And it was worth it because look what we got done um, for people that we were trying to help. 
Um, that that's what it's supposed to be all about. Um, you know, but people get elected, and then it's like I think that they there can be this idea that it's it's going to just be the end of the world if they if they um, lose the next election, and it's just it's not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, largely with you again there. Well, we are just about out of time, however, as uh, we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Uh, make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com for the latest in Minnesota news and politics. Again, minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, good chatting with you. Good thoughts today, and I uh, look forward to chatting with you next week again. Look forward to it. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950. Bye.